Hey guys, it's Michelle and Brittany. Mental health awareness has been something that I'm highly passionate about. As a mother of two, I've suffered with postpartum depression. And even though we as a society are working towards normalizing mental health, we still have some ways to go. Events such as Canada's Bell Let's Talk Day helps people to be more aware of mental health and looks to eradicate the stigma around it. With it becoming more and more of a discussion, we even see celebrities discussing their own struggles with mental health and the importance of getting the support needed. Unfortunately, due to COVID-19, there has been a significant rise in mental health cases. According to the CDC, during late June of 2020, 40% of U.S. adults reported struggling with mental health and substance abuse. According to Stats Canada, over half of participants reported that their mental health has worsened since the onset of physical distancing. On today's episode, we talk with Natasha Pennycook a psychotherapist located here in Toronto, and discuss all things related to mental health. She provides us with her expertise from millennials dealing with FOMO to how to deal with isolation due to the pandemic. I hope you learn as much from this episode as we did. This is A Shot of Melanin. Hi, everyone. So I'm Natasha Pennycook. I'm a registered psychotherapist in the province of Ontario. I own and operate um, Natasha Pennycook Psychotherapy Services, where I offer individual psychotherapy, speaking engagements, workso- workshop facilitation, as well as clinical consultation to really to women and men who are struggling with that self-doubt, with the worry, with the fear, a lot of times from trauma, from anxiety, from depression, which really takes away the ability to heal ourselves and to be able to thrive and live our best life. So I do all this from a very much trauma-informed, I consider myself very much a, a trauma therapist who works with like relational trauma. Um, but I also do this from an anti-black racism lens because a lot of times the focus on, on on race, on culture, on anti-black racism is not something that is readily done, which in the therapy field and realm. And it's so important to focus on, on, on race because myself as a black woman, race impacts me every day of my life and how I, how I walk, how I talk and how I behave and what settings I'm in. So I really focus from a therapeutic standpoint on on that. I've always been curious about human behavior and how like the interplay of culturals, culture, society, family relationship dynamics, how that all shapes our our life and our choices in life and as well as our behavior. So I guess that's one of the, I guess, you know, one of the quick quick reasons why I chose the field of psychology. Is this just my level of curiosity and also wanting to wanting to help. That's nice. Now, in terms of, um, you know, January 27th is Bell Let's Talk. Now, what do you think about corporations, celebrities, etc., encouraging people to normalize mental health issues and view it as something that needs to be spoken about? So anytime anyone is working to normalize mental health, I think it's a positive thing, right? Because if we if we look at the endorsements, endorsements of corporations or celebrities helping to normalize mental health, um, it's really helping people to feel more comfortable about getting the mental health treatment they need. Um, then then that's a positive thing. And I think one thing is, especially with mental health representation is important. And we know, right, especially as black women, how important representation is. So, so having something like, um, Bell Let's Talk Day, um, it's all about the mental health representation. That's what I see. I think also with Bell Let's Talk Day, it's recognizing that yes, mental health is important, but let's make it all inclusive. Let's not make only the focus on mental health for one particular um, peoples or one particular culture or one particular ethnicity. Let's open it up. I mean, Bell Let's Talk Day is something that's very well known in Canada. Let Bell Let's Talk Day be representative of the Canadian population because, as I said, mental health representation is important. We need to make sure that it's accessible 
for all individuals within Canada. You know, I think that, um, I think that unfortunately, there is still a great deal of stigma around mental health, around various mental health disorders. Um, and I don't think that people recognize that mental health, mental health disorders in and of itself is right on a continuum. Right? We hear about the anxiety and depression. We also hear about um, things like bipolar and schizophrenia, but people don't recognize that that is all on a continuum, that you have things like stress and worry and anxiety and fears, which we, we all experience. And then on the other side, you have things like maybe bipolar disorder or maybe schizophrenia. So it's really recognizing that mental health is on a continuum. Something that has been increasingly clear for me in 2020 is that people who are not psychologically trained do not have a mental health vocabulary. Mm -hmm. So if something like Bell Let's Talk Day Corporation Celebrities can start to help people to recognize that there is a mental health vocabulary, then I think that it's a positive as long as it is representative of the whole Canadian population. Yeah, I agree. I also think in terms of when it comes to mental health, it needs to be somewhat accessible because for most people, you have to pay through through your insurance, yep. you get reimbursed back and not everybody has insurance. It would be nice, for example, here in Ontario, if it was something that was included in our OHIP mm -hmm. or, or in Quebec, if it was uh, Ram Q. Ram Q. Yeah. It would be nice because then it would be really overly accessible. I mean, no matter what province in, in Canada that you are, if it's covered by the government, then then we can really say it's easily accessible. But for people who don't have insurance, like for example, now you all know that a lot of people lost their jobs. And this is a crucial time mentally for a lot of people. They would definitely need the support. Um, for therapy. So I would definitely encourage politicians to even look into that because it's not, I would say it's not easily accessible for everybody. 100%. And even to the insurance companies, they only cover you up until a certain amount. Yeah. Which is normally yeah. not a lot. Just like when you go, when you need glasses done, they only cover like $80 out of your $100 visit or something. And then you have a cap to how much you can actually, you know, claim on your insurance. I don't think it's right. I don't think they're prioritizing mental health at all. No, it's definitely monetary at that point. Yeah. Right. But I, I agree with everything you say, Natasha. We do definitely need to normalize it. And you're right. Um, speaking as Black women, we know what mental health is like in the Black community. Um, do you guys have any just quick examples of you know, what is the discussion around mental health in the black communities? You, you say that they are more accepting of it or they kind of downplay it. Yeah, no, that's an, that's a great question. And it's one of those questions that, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to say that it's downplayed in a black community because I think the stigma around the black community is that black people don't go to therapy. Right. We've all heard that narrative before. I've yes. been told that narrative before. And I'm like, but, I, but I'm, I'm a psychotherapist, clearly. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and, and the majority of my clientele, whether it's individual therapy or workshop, are black women. So black people are accessing therapy. For Black peoples, it's all about trust factor. Yes. Right? We, as Black women on this call, we know trust is a huge factor within the Black community. So yes, Black people are accessing um, therapy, psychotherapy, mental health services with individuals that they can trust. Which is mm -hmm. hard to find. Which is exactly. And that is part and parcel of the issue. If you have mental health practitioners, uh, psychotherapists, psychologists, um, social workers, medical doctors, or psychiatrists who are predominantly white, then people of the Black community are not going to trust to go to these individuals, right. especially if they're not working from a standpoint that recognizes individuals, black individuals. And this is why for me, I work from an anti-black racism standpoint, because we know there are tons of systemic issues mm -hmm. within healthcare in and of itself, right? We know that within the government, there are a lot of systemic issues. So then you have black people wanting to access therapy, but then with systemic issues such as not being taken seriously, not being seen, not being heard, um, being told that they're faking, being told, oh, oh, it's not that bad, mm -hmm. or you can take the pain, all those kind of things. So how can someone trust going in to these places when 
they're not being seen and heard and validated that their experiences are real. Right. That's a great point. point. That is a great point because personally, when I was looking for a therapist, I was like, I'm going to start looking through because there's a database where you can see all the pictures of all the therapists in my area. And I'm looking white, 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 white. And I'm like, nope, 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 nope. And then I fell upon the therapist that I have. And she looked like she was mixed like me. And I was like, I'm going to try her out. And she actually, she is mixed. And that came up in one of our sessions. And I said, you know, I chose you because you looked like me. And I didn't want to go to somebody who didn't understand where I was coming from. And I couldn't relate to. And she said that the majority of her uh, patients, same thing. They were like, I need to find somebody who's going to relate to me. So anybody out there who is of color, and is toying with psychology, please go, please <laughs> pursue it. We need you. Yes, definitely. I, I definitely agree with that. A lot of people, um, they say the reason why they look for therapists more, their ethnicity, their colors, just because they will understand them more and understand them better so that it's easier. Whereas I've heard stories of people were telling me that, you know, they went to white therapists and it was more so they didn't seem to understand a lot of cultural differences and it needed to be explained. So yes, there is a level of trust. And then we just kind of I guess it, it it's a situation where we have to make sure that our therapist understands us because they have the same upbringing or maybe not the same upbringing, but they kind of understand our upbringings. Yeah, the when same cultural about, background. Exactly. Or, yeah. When we talk about like getting beats from our parents when we're young, you know, like they'll understand yeah. where we're coming from. Yeah. So I definitely agree with that. And I like the I do like the fact that um, celebrities are definitely weighing in on the importance of men mental health, but I would just more so say if we're going to make mental health accessible, as I mentioned earlier, then it really needs to be accessible to everyone, not just the working population. Right. And I do want to add something. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that a a white therapist or a therapist of a different ethnicity cannot understand. But what I am saying is that they have to have an openness because I have a colleague who sought me out for clinical consultation, a white a, a white colleague Um, working with a half black, half indigenous individual. And my colleague was so scared to talk about identity. Mm. As as black people, as racialized people, as an indigenous person, identity is so much of who we are. Right. Yeah. Right. It's so much of how our our cultural understanding, so much of our our generational makeup, so much of um, the systemic issues that our generations and our parents and grandparents have faced. So as uh, as a practitioner, as a psychotherapist, as a psychologist, you cannot shy away from talking about identity, especially with a racialized uh, client. Right. It's it's part of who who we are as racialized people. Mm hmm. And that's how people gain experience, really. Me, personally, I have no problem going to anybody. But, you know, I understand why certain people have their particulars. Um, But it's a great way for people to learn. Like, how will they learn if they don't get the experience to be around um, different ethnicities, races, and cultures? So I encourage anybody. But, hey, it's your comfortability level at the end of the day, right? It's whoever you're comfortable with. Okay, so we're just going to go on to the next question. It is great that we live in a society that is beginning to acknowledge the importance of mental health, but there is also so much stigma associated with this topic. What is one thing you'd like to see implemented that would further benefit those with mental health issues? So I think this goes back to what we were talking about, about the government assistance. Okay. I would love to see more government assistance for mental health counseling Um therapy needs in the community with funded programs that focus on prevention instead of cure, Mm -hmm. right? Because a lot of times people are accessing therapy as a cure, as I need to be fixed. There are things like fix, quote unquote, right? Um, Or I need help. But a lot of people don't recognize that you can access mental health services or counseling or therapy from a prevention standpoint, right? So I think that from a government level within within communities, within varying communities, looking at it from that prevention standpoint, and what that is, is, is different programs, right? Having like, um, like a self-esteem building program, having a, um, um, a boundaries building program, having different kind of programs that are geared towards different age levels so that you start to build people up instead of, okay, someone needs that quick fix, we quickly need to put things in place. 
starting to have them there. And another thing, advertising and marketing these programs. One thing that I've recognized during the pandemic is that there are a lot of community mental health programs, but people are not aware of them. Oh, wow. Right. People are not aware of them. So what I've been doing on my social media, mostly my Instagram stories, is making efforts to share resources that I come across, mental health resources that I come across, because in order for these programs to be used, people need to know about them. When the programs are not used, the government then thinks that these programs don't need funding. Mm. And then if they don't need funding, that means there does not there's not a lot of them that are rolled out in different communities. And then what happens, these communities then lose access right. to these programs. So this is why I see the marketing, the advertising, being able to let people know that these exist so people can use them. Because a lot of times people think there's no programs, there's nothing there for mental health. But I'm like, well, there actually are, but people don't know about it. Know them. about it. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And it's true. There are definitely, I'm sure there's things in my community and I just don't know about it. And then the next thing is, who do I go to? Mm. I don't know even where to go right. to um, get that kind of information or resources. So we don't know where to go. And there's no, there's nothing, I mean, in my area that says, hey, there's, for example, what you said, a boundary building um, course happening at the Y, for example. Mm-hmm. We got none of that. I don't know who to go to, where to go to. And I guess maybe you can somewhat dig, but I even feel like sometimes when you dig, you kind of hit a roadblock in certain cases. Yeah. You could only type so much you can into Google. Google doesn't <laughs> only, know. <laughs> yeah, you only know what you know. Exactly. Right? You only know what you know. And this is why it's so important to build community and to build network. Yes, I agree with that. Totally. Actually, I have a follow-up question to that. Um, when you were talking about prevention, because I believe in that too. Prevention is super, super important. And in my opinion, I feel like it would be good if this was taught in schools, if they had some classes, some courses, some sessions, some elective in high school or something where you could learn like stress management and things like that. What are your thoughts on uh, implementing that in the school as a program? 100% in agreement. It's interesting because a lot of my clients that I work with, they come to me and we're, I'm like, you know what, we need to start at the basics. So I'll have a, for example, 40 year old woman that I'm working with and I'm teaching emotional intelligence 101 kindergarten level right right. something that like i make up right but i'm like we need to start at the basics and the foundation what's emotions what are emotional vocabulary and this is something that we're not readily taught right definitely this is something that should be taught right from kindergarten yeah going up right and making it very age appropriate so that becomes a part of people's vocabulary yes. part of people's lexicon as opposed to being 40 and now needing to learn about feelings and that there's emotional vocabulary that there's different different emotions that emotion that you could feel multiple emotions at the same time yeah Right. Definitely. This needs to be something that's implemented. There's one thing that I've noticed lately is because now my daughter's four and I'm really big into reading and making sure that she's reading. And I noticed at uh, chapters or like local bookstores, um, they have a lot of uh, wellness, like childhood wellness sections. So where it talks about your feelings and like how you can how you impact the community around you with your words and your actions and this and that. And so I make sure that I get her books like that. And, and we explain you know, what what it's like to feel shy and you can be scared but excited at the same time. And and it's cool that I have those tools so readily available at the bookstore where I can begin to have those conversations with her at four, where I don't feel like they always had those books available. But I don't think that was something that my mom could have walked into the store and get. So I feel like we're on a good path towards that. We still have work to do, but hopefully, you know, we can see something good coming in the future. Yeah. But then that just sets up our kids, right? So when you are future, right? They're the future. So now they're set up for knowing what emotional, being emotional, um, Intelligent. Intelligent. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> They're ready and they are more aware because, you know, as parents, hopefully um, as parents, we're teaching our kids to be emotionally intelligent so that their kids can also. So we're kind of changing the path of the future, right? We're not going off of the path of, you know, the old tradition or the old mindset of, for example, boys don't cry. And, right. And, Ugh. you know, so <laughs> where we're teaching our kids and hopefully they teach their kids so that there could be yeah. a better future. So that's good, though. 
Yeah, definitely. And the thing is, in order for us to teach our children, yes, there's books that are readily available. We also have to do our work. Yeah. Right. Because if we did not have that growing up and we're still trying to learn it. Now we're trying to learn at the same time that we're teaching. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, that's, a making, good point. that's a good point. Yeah. Making sure that we also learn emotional intelligence so that we are actually teaching, um, not teaching kind of hard learned generational stuff, but making those changes for the next generation. Yeah, for sure. I find that's the hardest part. Unlearning the yes. behaviors. Mm-hmm. So there are certain behaviors that you were taught. And now you as a parent l- now know that that's not right. And you have to unlearn the behavior. You know the saying old habits die hard? Mm-hmm. Yes. Very true. <laughs> uh, yeah. As a mother, I'm learning all the behaviors that I've learned. And I'm like, I need to unlearn that. And it's so hard. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. And I agree. You know, I have a five-year-old and it's hard. And I do this work on a daily basis. And it's still hard to do the unlearning, to relearn, to transform. It's yeah. hard work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it a little exhausting? <laughs> <laughs> you, know, so you know what? I, yes, I'm not going to lie. It's exhausting. And I see the good in it. Mm-hmm. Right. I see the good in it because this is the work that I love to do. I love that I get to do something that I have chosen to do that makes such a big impact, not only on my community, on my child, on my on my family, on my home, but also for me, because I have to continuously be doing yes. my work. Yeah. Right. Especially I say this as as working with trauma and a lot of relational trauma, childhood trauma, different kind of traumas. It's a lot to take on. So I have to continuously be doing my work to make sure that I am good, that I'm ready to be able to help those. I'm only as good to other people when I'm good, when I'm in a good space and good yeah. headspace. Right. Yeah. Oh, this is good. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. I'm learning stuff so much too. Um, so I'm just going to move right along here. So I think that there is a perception that you need to seek therapy when you're experiencing a crisis or a big issue that quote unquote needs to be fixed. Other people believe that therapy is a lifelong process. What are your personal views on how therapy should be approached? Yeah, I know. This is definitely another great question. I think accessing therapy, first and foremost, is about getting a better understanding of how life's events have impacted you and have altered your feelings towards yourself, your world, your thoughts, your behaviors, and how you have been impacted by this, right? So that's the whole idea of therapy. So Some people may access therapy as a last resort, like I spoke about earlier, right, when they're in crisis. But I think that it's so important to be able to have more, have a society that looks at mental health the way we do physical health, right? Because there are a number of factors. Uh, There's availability, accessibility, stigma, uh, mental health not being normalized. But the thing is, if you think about it, physical health is normalized. God forbid you go and break your leg. What's the first thing you're going to do? You go to the hospital, right? You go to the doctor, go to the hospital, get your x-rays done. They're going to check it. Do you need a cast to get that fitted on? They're going to tell you, leave it on for three weeks. You're going to listen to them. (laughs) All of that. Yeah. Yeah. But then with mental health, we sit there and we struggle and we suffer. And we want, we do it in silence and alone because of the stigma, because there's shame, because there's guilt, because there's this idea that I should figure this out all on my own. Right. And that idea is so harmful. Physical health. We go to the family doctor once, maybe once a year for a checkup, things like that. With mental health, a lot of times, like I said, we sit in silence. We have to start normalizing mental health the same way we do physical health. Because believe it or not, our mental health impacts our physical health and our physical health impacts our mental health. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. We have to start looking at physical health and mental health as health under this umbrella of health. And underneath that umbrella, we have physical health. We have mental health. We have all different. There's time health. There's money health. There's all these different kind of healths underneath. And we have to start looking at it that way. Yeah, that's a great way of seeing it. I actually never thought of it that way um, to just normalize it as health, period, so that people know that it's not a stigma. It's the same. As you said, if you need help with or you broke an arm, a leg, you know, you normally have to go to a hospital or a doctor. Well, it's the same way with your mental health. So that's 
I never even looked at it that way. I just thought of it as mental health and you need to get it, um, need to deal with whatever mental issues that are happening. Because I do feel as though people who do not deal with their mental health, not only does it affect them, like you said, physically, it could also affect their environment. Yes, 100%. people who they live with, if you're dealing with some sort of trauma, uh, some childhood trauma, and now you're an adult with kids of your own, I'm sure that's going to affect your nuclear family somehow. 100%, 100%. And you don't even have to look as far as trauma. Look when you're stressed, right? You had yeah. a hard, you had a hard week or, or you got into an argument with uh, your loved one, your spouse, your coworker, you feel stress, you feel tension, your shoulders start to hurt. Yep. Right. <laughs> you have a headache. Your you neck gets tense. You can't eat. <laughs> you're cramping. Yeah. All that stuff, right? So you don't even have to go far to look at like some huge mental health issues such as trauma. You can look at like everyday stress. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So we definitely need to. I hope that's something that will happen in the future that mental health will just be considered health. Period. So that people don't see it as a stigma or see it as something that they need to deal on their own. Um, just so that people could get you know, the help that they need and they don't feel shamed into, you know, like, oh, I could deal with this on my own or nobody needs to hear about this. Um, and I also feel as though sometimes people feel shame because it's also their surroundings. Mm-hmm. Yes. So sometimes they are with people who are, who are saying, don't bother talking about that or you don't need to deal with that or you get don't get over need- it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So your, yes. your environment sometimes contributes to the thought process of, well, I'll just deal with it myself. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And you know what I say to that? Because there are going to be those naysayers around you. There are just, just from, just from life, you know, there are people who are going to be more positive and negative. And we all know negative people, whether in our, in our family circles or our friend circles, when that happens, don't go to those people. Go to, right? I guess, but but it's true. And think about it. I'm saying this and we're laughing, but it's so true because we do, right? Mm -hmm. We go to the people like, oh, I really want those, their validation when we know they're not able to validate us that way. It's so true. So it's like this toxic circle you, that you don't yes. even realize. Exactly. It's like maybe this time they'll see me. Maybe this time they'll validate me. Maybe this time they'll say, oh, yes, I understand. If they've done it in the past, mm. the likelihood they'll do it again. Just accept that person as who they are mm-hmm. and go to someone else that will support you in the way in which you want to be supported. Supported, exactly. And yeah. sometimes I just feel like that when you go to people, uh, they're not professionals. Yeah. yeah. So, so they'll kind of, you know, give their opinion and input. And if you don't take it, they get frustrated with you. And yeah. you and it, it puts a strain on the relationship. And yes. Yes. you just might as well go to a professional, yeah. <laughs> my personal and, opinion. Yeah, and I think this rolls in really nicely with one of the other questions um, that you had asked. But I mean, when we're, when we're looking at it on both sides, right? So it's like, say I'm struggling with a mental health issue. I go to someone that doesn't usually help and I get upset with what they're saying. On the other side, the person who is, who is there, the family member, the friend, you don't have to have the answer. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of times, especially as black women, we're told you have to have the answer. You have to fix it. It's okay not to know the answer and it's okay to tell someone, you know what, I don't know how to help you, but we can look together for places and resources where you can find the help that you need. That's a good yes. point. That is a very good point. And another thing is men, if if you're a woman and you're going to a man, he's normally going to give you a, a solution to your problem, yeah. let's say, where yeah. you just want it to be heard. You just right. want it to talk. And they feel like, oh, well, they're coming to me. I, I have to give them something. And it's like, fix well, sometimes it. all you have to do is just listen. And it feels good yeah. to just vent. Yeah. 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 And it's okay. Like in that, in that example, it's okay for a person to say, I'm coming to you. This is what I need right now. Yes. I just need you to listen. I yes. just need you to hold safe space for me to be here so you can listen so I can be heard. 
That's oh, wow. so true. My therapist so told me well that. <laughs> My therapist said that. And I was like, I use that now. And it, it's helpful. It's like, okay, listen, I don't want advice. I just want to talk. Or he'll say, what do you need? Do you Are you going to want advice from me? I'm like, no, or yes. And, and it just that, just that little just nugget little of advice. Yes. It's so yes. helpful. Yes, exactly. And the thing is, we're not really taught, especially as women and as black women, we're not taught to ask for what we need. Yeah. Right, so true, and it's so hard to vocalize it when we're asked to tell us what you want or what you need. Exactly, and this is an exercise I do with my clients where I say, "Okay, tell me what you need." We're going to take this whole session to unpack what is it that you need, and this little exercise is so hard for a lot of people because we are historically not taught to look at what we need. Mm -hmm. Right, so even just getting into the headspace of allowing yourself to pull it up and pull it forward and to speak it into existence, mm-hmm. the things that you need, it's hard sometimes. Yeah. Makes film comfortable, especially yes. as a parent, right? Yeah. Uncomfortable, uncomfortable part that makes me uncomfortable as a black yes. woman to voice yes. my needs. I get uncomfortable. Yes. So I can imagine there's probably others like that too. Oh yeah. 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 Sure. We, we, we've all been there. I've been there many, many times. Right. And it's learning how to be uncomfortable or learning how to be comfortable with the uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because if you're feeling uncomfortable that's where change needs to happen yes yeah that's true i need to work on my (laughs) (laughs) i need to work on my uncomfortability that's Mm -hmm. i like to be in comfort so when yes. I'm in that uncomfortable spot, I'm like, oh, I don't like it. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But it's it's and it's it's a it's a work in progress because it attaches to fear, right? It attaches a lot to fear. So when you are comfortable, you're safe, you're good, things yes. are good. But also, you're not growing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you can push yourself a little bit at a time to be uncomfortable, that means you're challenging your fears. That means you're pushing forward, and that means ultimately you're growing. And then you yeah. feel so much better afterwards. Yes. When you push past that fear, you look back and you're like, I did it. I did it. I yeah. did it. I've accomplished this. Yes. Look at this. My own little therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I actually have a question for you, Natasha. This is me as a millennial. Okay. Yes. So millennials are the cohorts of kids that are pretty much expected to have it together. So this is me and Brit. We're both millennials. <laughs> and that stressor alone is a lot. So unlike our parents' generation who got married earlier, had better jobs, and were able to become homeowners, a lot of millennials are feeling the pressures of not hitting those same milestones. For example, one of my milestones that I have not hit yet is being married. And I'm starting to feel a little type of way. So what advice do you have for the millennials who are struggling with not feeling accomplished? So it's so interesting with this question, because in this question, I hear a lot of struggle with the comparison, Mm -hmm. right? What, what some other therapists, uh, friends of mine call it comparisonitis. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) The disorder of comparing ourselves. I I say are, because I do it too, right? Comparing ourselves to other people and other, and other times, Right. So it's the idea of not meeting a standard of society that was placed on on you, on us, on people, on millennials. Mm -hmm. Right. I think it's so important to understand and be clear that our parents generation was a very different time. Mm -hmm. Right. Most of the time, our parents generation, what it was like born in the maybe. 60s yeah raised in the 70s 80s right having their first children us in the 80s and things like that so it's it's recognizing such a different time there wasn't all there wasn't like the instant access to resources like the internet right right? there was no internet there was the idea that right out of high school the expectation especially for women may have been uh get married start a home all of that or you could get by with high school education right Right. You can most likely in our parents generation get a really, really good job right out of high school, high school education. Whereas now, in order to be competitive, a lot of us had to finish high school and then go to college or CJEP and then uh, go to university and then maybe go beyond. Yeah. And even so that's it, not good enough, and right? It, and well, well, and this is the thing, right? And there's times, even for me, when I'm like, oh, I have a master's. Maybe that's not enough. Maybe I have to do more. Maybe I need like a doctor and then a postgrad fellowship. And then I need to do another. Wow. Right? We're always thinking that we need more instead of 
being um, living in what we have and doing and doing what we what we can with what we have. Right. right? I think a lot of times the comparing ourselves gets us into more. Um, I, I guess I want to say trouble or more struggles than it does good. Mm-hmm. Right. Like with our parents generation, the married early to jobs and all of that homeowners, but then also recognizing, OK, what do I have? And also, why am I comparing myself? Why am I comparing myself to 30 plus years ago when the times were really different? Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that what happens too, we don't create healthy boundaries for us today right healthy space and time boundaries for today because we get stuck in other realms our parents realm or the future realm we don't create these boundaries that we want for us today and i think this does create a lot of issues do you think that that's why i just my personal opinion there's so much issue with anxiety and depression right now because people are comparing comparing from to the past or focusing so much on the future where they're not just in the present? I think, yes, I think that um, we get stuck. We get stuck in what I call kind of this flip flop. So we kind of like flip flop to the past. We flip flop to the future. Mm-hmm. We're, we're scared of stuff or what's to come for the future, but we're living in the past instead of living today. So it's like, I'm trying to do what I have to do today, but I'm using all the past fears, all the past hurts, all the past pain of what has happened. And I'm trying to compare that and live today in it. When I'm pulling, I'm literally pulling from past stuff. And then I'm trying to do really, really well for my future, but I'm getting really scared and really fearful of what's to come. So then I'm not being able to attain what I want in the future. It's just like I'm pulling things from the past to use now when those are gone and obsolete and things like that. And because I'm using stuff from the past to use now, I'm not actually attaining what I need to, what I need to do or where I want to be in my future. So then how best could we deal with these, I would say this tug of war effect. Yeah. So with the tug of war effect, and I, I like that. I like how you put that tug of war effect. <laughs> it's the, it's, it is, it's the focusing on the present, focusing on, look at all the things that I have done. Look at all mm. the things that I have accomplished. Where do I need to focus on right now? If there's things that are going on right now that I, that I don't like, that I'm not happy with, how can I make changes based on right now? Not based on the past, not based on the future, based on where I, where I see myself wanting to be, but recognizing that I have to do that work now. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think a lot of us get stuck. A lot of us get stuck and do that tug of war flip flop back and forth Mm -hmm. without looking at, okay, what, what do I have now? What have I accomplished? You know, um, especially that 2020 is in its end. We're in this new year coming up. It's like focusing on the things that I have right now yeah. that I've accomplished in this moment to propel myself forward. There's always going to be bad things. And I think what happens, we focus too much on the negative. We don't focus enough on the positive. And you know what's funny? Whenever you discuss these things with like, and I mean good friends, like, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't, they were always like, what are you talking about? Like, I have these moments with Brittany, but it's like, what are you talking about? You have a house, you have two kids. Like, she kind of, <laughs> she kind of like, girl, what are you talking about? I'm like, hold on, let me give you the mirror for a second. You're not seeing yourself properly. <laughs> and it's so funny. It isn't until somebody puts up a mirror and shows me my accomplishments that I'm like, huh, I yeah. never even looked at it like that yeah and you know even with that mirror sometimes people put it up for us and we look at it and it's distorted Mm. right we always see those things that we think that are actually there instead of recognizing what is actually there if there's things that you look at in your mirror that you don't like you need to recognize it and call it out say how can i make changes towards this right because a lot of times we look in these mirrors that we have and we only focus we only focus on um, on the distortion, or we only focus on the things, the shoulda, woulda, couldas, yes, stuff. Yes, right? we don't focus on that. We actually have uh, the strength. We actually have the power. We actually have the ability to make changes that we. That's want true. For so nothing is solidified. You can always change right. things if you're not right. content. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. And that may be go. That may go back into like a boundary issue. Mm. 
Right. I'm learning so much from Kelly. <laughs> I'm learning so much because it's true. Because I, I, like I said, I have a hard time of seeing the positive. I've always seen the distortion, as you yeah. mentioned, Natasha. So I always get that mirror. It's a good thing I got Brittany, but it's she always <laughs> puts the mirror up and shows me all the good stuff. And I'm, I, I guess maybe as people, we tend to focus on our negatives. Or the Absolutely. things that like you said we don't do, we should have done. Because there's many times I'm like, man, I probably should have gone for my master's. Man, maybe if I just focused more on school, I could have been a lawyer. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you always pick and choose. I think as I don't know if it's a human being thing as that we have a hard time seeing the positives, the good things, the things that we've accomplished, especially this year. There's this, this weird thing going around the internet saying, what have you accomplished for 2020? Yeah. And I don't know why that's around because we're in a pandemic and it's all about surviving. And I'm sure you can say you did one thing that you've accomplished. And that one thing is surviving yeah. a pandemic, period. There's nothing else after that that you need to, oh, I didn't start a bit. Okay, but those things can always happen later. Right now we're in a pandemic. See, but that speaks volumes to our society. Like that's the society that we're living in right now. That's what we are growing up and trying to like form our families in a society that's going to focus on what did I get done during a global pandemic? It's like relax. Or just (laughs) what kind of success that you're bringing to the table, whether it's a global pandemic or not. I find that like our cohort of of generation, so millennials and maybe the next one are kind of more so focused on success and what success looks like. So if you don't have any, if you don't have X amount of followers on TikTok, YouTube, mm. you know, you're not bringing any kind of success. If you're not making some sort of money outside of like YouTube, like you don't have your own business. Some I feel as though we're just big on success. What does success mean? And it usually means followers or money. Right. Um, I think it's a distorted view of success, actually. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a, the yeah. idea that if you have the followers or the likes, then you're successful. But we have to also recognize, and I actually think this goes into one of your questions, what we see on social media yes. is 5%. 5. One, two, three, four, five. Five. Yeah. <laughs> Just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. I, I have a five-year-old. So. Yes. <laughs> right, five percent of what is what people choose to show us. Yeah, five mm-hmm. percent. Right. And right. what we're doing, we are seeing someone's five percent, thinking it's their one hundred percent. Yes, and then we're comparing our one hundred percent to that five percent. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm so guilty of that. Yes, we are. So guilty of that. (laughs) It's a problem. (laughs) And even that 5%, though, I personally don't think that that 5% is even representative of what's actually good. I think it's they're showing us like their ideal selves. Of course, it's 5%. But it's not, it's not even like, bro, like relax. Like you probably had an argument with your husband the day before. You had all these things, but then he got you some flowers. You're like, um, oh, you'll post the flowers. Oh, love, hashtag love goals, millennial love, whatever. But it's like, no, he gave you those flowers because you guys got into a huge fight, but yes. you're not going to talk no about context. that. No yeah. context. Exactly. No context. I'll tell no you con- I'll tell you a story, and this happened to a very good friend, colleague of mine. I went, and this was a number of years ago, probably five, six years ago. I went to a party that she had, and her husband made the most beautiful, beautiful speech. She's, she's my wife, the only one I've ever loved, blah, 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 blah. Beautiful. I literally came home, and I was telling my husband, I'm like, he made the most beautiful speech. Oh my gosh, what a nice husband. La 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 la. Literally, maybe two years later, I found out from my friend that he's been cheating on her for years, 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 years. years. And that speech at her birthday party was on the backs of her finding out probably like three, four days prior that he had cheated again. Uh, mm. right so this is what you're like what you're saying context we're only seeing five percent of what people want us to see so his beautiful speech was beautiful well rehearsed it looked it looked amazing everyone everyone in the room was like gushing for her but the reality is there was all this other stuff that other 95 percent 
Right. That's what I'm saying. Oh, that's so well said. Because I was going to go into my social media question. The anxiety and depression that we, and and that was so well said. It's the context. We don't have that. It's so easy to fake the funk. Mm. So you could put it out. And I I think that's something I know my, I know I need to work on. Because I'm very much like, oh, they lunch. I'm into the whole couples goal. If you haven't seen my Instagram (laughs) page. I'm just like, couple goal, couple goal. And I want to be like them, but... Um, for example, I listened to a podcast. It's called Dead Ass. It's by Kadeen and Devel. Now, I don't know if you know who they are, but they're hashtag couple goals for a lot of people in the black community because they just look so good together. And people think literally that they had the most fairy tale relationship. But then their podcast, they kind of break it down that you guys see what you see on social media. But I cheated on Kadeen. Um, on on Deval. Exactly. Mm. Like there's context. So what you guys see, he's trying to explain to the guests, it's it's an honor for us to be couple goals, but know that we didn't all we were not like this from the job. It took work. It took work. Exactly. And it's so easy. Yes. And I think that's what we're not seeing on the social media. We're seeing the people's successes. We're seeing the bling. We're seeing all like the pretty lights and everything, but we're not seeing the work that people spit in. We don't see the the late nights that people are up. We don't see the arguments. We don't see everything else. We're only seeing right. What we put up. I mean, I, I can definitely, um, speak for myself when you know I'll put up like a nice Instagram post and things like that that I did on Canva trust me that took me like at least an hour <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to move that little snowflake over or, or, or to like double check because I spelled something wrong yes. and I had to go in and resave it you're not seeing all that right you're yeah. seeing the end product results yeah 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 we have to always be aware of that and I feel like it'd be nice if people said the truth on social media. It doesn't mean you don't have to do every post is like, oh, today sucked and this happened, whatever. But like, I remember when I first had my daughter, everybody was always like, oh, she's so cute. She's so cute. Strangers, especially teenagers. Oh, she's so cute. I'm like, yeah, she's cute, but she just had a meltdown. She had a poop explosion. Uh, She's a uh, lot of work. So yeah, they're cute. But don't forget, there's a lot lot of work. So I tried to post on my Instagram like, oh, here's this really cute picture of her. And then the second picture would be like, she had a meltdown and this was the one good picture that I could take. So don't mm-hmm. think that I have a perfect life because I don't. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's true. Wouldn't that be interesting though, if social media showed the after and the before? I would love that. <laughs> Wouldn't that I would love that. Some, some people are, right? Some people are, are, what's the word? Living, trying to live more authentic. I think mm-hmm. in, in my field, in my age group, there are lo- there's this big push to be authentic. Be authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like um, like people are showing pictures of themselves going to do a speaking presentation, but they're showing right. Especially now that everything's online, they're showing, OK, they're wearing this right nice top with these big socks and sweatpants. Right? <laughs> like this. This is our reality right now. Yeah. So trying yeah. to be more authentic. Yes. Yeah. I back it 100 <laughs> percent. That would be nice if people Wouldn't were more it? authentic. But I, I, I hope in the future we can be. But I mean, as of right now, I think every... I think people like the the lie better than the truth. Mm, I think shinier. I think for some people, yeah, shinier. You're right. Like it's I, maybe not for everybody. It's just maybe like maybe like that five percent. But I think they would like that that shiny lie more than the truth. For some people, me, I would like the truth because then I could be like, well, you know, they're just as human like me. Like it will remind me they're just as human as me. They go through their trials and tribulations yeah. just like yeah. me. Yeah. But I think for some people, they like the shiny coin. And maybe it's for something, for some people, I do know it's also a way of um, becoming an aspiration. And I guess that's okay as long as it's in a healthy way, Yeah, you know, um, because it's nice to have um, role models and things that you would like to attain. Yeah. But as long as it's not like, you know, killing you to like get false. there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I, I I would definitely, I mean, I don't know. What do you think, Britt? I think it would be refreshing if everybody did it. Obviously, not everybody's going to do it because some people are not comfortable sharing their right. struggles and whatever. And I have to respect that and understand that. But at the, at the end of the day, though, I think that 
those people who like to look at the shiny, beautiful, perfect pictures, I don't think that at, at the end of the day when they go to bed, when they're scrolling on Instagram before they go to bed and they're done looking at all those perfect pictures, that they feel good. I feel like it's human nature that we will compare ourselves. So there will, if you really sit down and think, well, how did it make me feel to sit and look on Instagram for half an hour at all these perfect people. How do I feel right now? Do I feel good or do do I feel a little not so good? I think that most people would admit if they really were able to look deep down in themselves that they don't feel that great. Like I I do it. I do it 100%. I've done it for a long time and this year I'm really trying to stop comparing myself and and obsessing over looking at other people's accomplishments and then looking at my own life and saying, "Oh, well, how come I don't look like that?" And I had to check myself and be like, "Wait a second. When I spend that half an hour on Instagram, I feel like crap after. Why am I doing this to myself? I'm torturing myself, but I feel like I have to do it. Like it's some sick obsession that I know is not going to be good for me. You know what I mean? So I'm like, I have to stop that. And that's something that I still struggle with. Yeah. Social media does play a part in um, how people make perceptions or how they think of things. And I do believe that maybe... Maybe Natasha, you could uh, let me know if I'm I'm good. I'm correct by saying that, but I think it's also good to check out when it comes to social media, so it doesn't affect your mental health too much. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, especially with the pandemic, right? Especially to start a pandemic, and especially with. I guess the resurgence of Black Lives Matter movement over the summer and the racial injustice, it was triggering for a lot of people being on social media, being on the news, um, having that constant, constant, constant in their face. So yes, if you're finding for whatever reason, whether it's uh, too much news, too much input, um, too much comparing, right, comparing yourself, take a break. It's okay to allow yourself to take a break from social media. It's recognizing how it's triggering you. And really the trigger is that what you are experiencing is impacting you, impacting your health, impacting your mental health, impacting your relationship with yourself. So take a pause, take a break and and do an assessment of what is going on, right? If it's that you're on social media and you're really feeling like crap, um, Check in. Why are you feeling like crap? Are you comparing yourself? Are you um, belittling yourself? Right? It's like, oh my goodness, this person's post or pictures or family looks perfect. Mine is not. Now I'm belittling myself. I'm telling myself I'm not good enough. That I need to be better. All this X Y Z stuff. Recognize what you're actually saying to yourself, because the stuff there on social media, you have an option to look at it, to turn it off, to scroll past it. Yeah. Why do you choose to stick on it? And why do you choose to have the narrative that you have inside your head to yourself? That's true. Well, I'm just going to go on to the next one. Um, and then we're just going to wrap it up for you guys because it's been a really interesting conversation. Yeah. So Natasha, of course, thank you for coming on and spending this time, girl chat, as well as oh, dropping some great. knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> So we're just going to go over in terms of 2020. So we know it has been a very challenging time for all of us globally. You know, we've seen increases in suicides, drugs, alcohol dependency, um, overall anxiety levels. Let's talk about how periods of uncertainty, such as a pandemic, can affect our mental health. And what advice do you have for people to help them stay positive and mentally healthy during this time as we are also, you know, going into 2021? So again, you're right. This year has been challenging. It has been interesting, to say the least. Uh, There's been so much that has happened this year or last year now, right, in 2020. Um, And I think what has been happening with the period of uncertainty, of fear, of unknowing, is that this is something that we've never experienced. I remember asking my grandmother, who is 84, I think. 85, you know, have you ever experienced anything like this in your lifetime? And she was like, me? Never. Never (laughs) experiencing anything like this. So if you think about an 84-year-old woman never experiencing a pandemic, imagine us, right? So there is so much uncertainty because of the fear, because of the fear of unknown. So I think with this pandemic, not being sure of what, what is to come has triggered a lot of people. 
has triggered that, the fear, the uncertainty, the worry, the stress, on top of the a number of people right across the country who has lost their jobs, yeah. who have not had uh, adequate childcare, who have been in households where there's been a lot of abuse and domestic yes. violence, not having a safe space to go, such as a library or a grocery store or a doctor's office, right? right? All these things have been closed. So if you look at all that, what has been happening, people have been triggered from their trauma. I've been calling this pandemic this uh, this global trauma that we're all experiencing. Um, so what has been happening is that everyone has been going through this collective trauma and it's been triggering based on other experiences in our life because we don't have anything to pull from from a pandemic. So we pull from other it's instances, whether it could be a car accident or a domestic abuse situation or uh, something in our childhood. We've been going back to these times and reliving all of this. So it's like this global trauma is attaching to other traumatic experiences that we have been going through in our lives. So this is why this pandemic, yes, this, this pandemic, what's been going on, but it's it's impacted so many people, right, with food insecurity and all of it. So if we're really thinking about, you know what, how, what, like what advice, how can people stay positive? The one thing that I've been really telling people is connect with others, mm -hmm. connect, connect, connect with others, build your community, your network, your tribe. Um, mm. because we've been isolated, whether we've been isolated physically, socially, right? Um, we're not used to to seeing people. I mean, I had a client that I had started with at the beginning of the pandemic who who was on a countdown. She was like, it's 155 days since I hugged someone. It's 170 days since I hugged someone. She's oh. like, keeping count because she was a um she's a woman who lives alone. <sighs> right. So just understanding how it's been impacting, it's so important to connect. So important to connect, find your community. So whether it's connecting right through through podcasts, whether it's connecting through programs, uh, workshops that are now online. Mm -hmm. One positive about the pandemic, a lot of the programs and workshops that we may not have had access to are online. Yeah. Mm. I mean, that still creates some barrier for people yes. who don't have internet or strong internet connections. Right. But at the same time, it opens it up a little bit for people who may have been in further remote areas or not even have access to bus fare. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, that's what I've really been saying. Connect with people who are also going through this. Because mm -hmm. if we stay alone, if we stay isolated, we are going to feel isolated. We're going to be isolated. We are going to fall into that social withdrawal which are some of the uh, symptoms of depression. So we have to, we have to, have to connect, connect with positive people, um, right? If you are, if you're a part of a podcast community, connect with other podcasters. Yeah. Right? What are some of the challenges you're going through? If you're part of, if you recognize that you struggle with a uh, seasonal depression, seasonal affective disorder, there's some programs out there geared towards individuals. Find those programs, go to those programs, allow yourself to, to become involved in those, reach out to people, you know, check in on a neighbor, call a neighbor, knock on a door. Um, if you're going grocery shopping and you see someone outside, like, Hey, how's it going? You know, I mean, yes, we have to keep our distance, but we, we also need to connect because we're social yeah. beings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're right on that one. We definitely need, um, some sort of connection or else I, I know me, I'm a slight introvert extrovert <laughs> uh -huh. and I need, I need, I need people. I need to connect with people so I could understand, you know, people, for example, who you were saying Natasha lives alone and has been counting down the days since she last hugged someone. That's hard. Yes. And I would definitely um, agree with you. Definitely connect with people if you're feeling that. So I'm just going to end it on a final question here just for the parents out there. So there are a few parents out there that have noticed their children's mental health has been impacted due to COVID. I know my five-year-old is slowly starting to lose it. Mm -hmm. What do you suggest parents can do to ease the anxiety or sadness that their children are experiencing? Yeah, this is a good one. I think it's a hard one. It's a hard one as a parent, as a mother, to see our children struggling, right? We just want to pick them up and snuggle them and tell them it's going to be okay. Um, I think the important thing from an age appropriate standpoint is have a conversation with the, with your children about feelings, right? Have a conversation. I use this thing with my son. It's a, it's a feeling chart. Um, and it's literally just a, a two pager with all these different 
different multicolored um, faces, like blue and pink and rainbow, different colors of different faces. And it literally has feeling words under each of them. So we use this to be able to say, okay, you know, what's going on? How are you feeling today? And sometimes what we'll do, we'll have the sheets there and we'll just go through all. Are you feeling this? No. Are you feeling this? A little bit. Are you feeling this? You know, going through and being able to to express with your child, you and your child, being able to talk about their feelings. Because I think what's been happening with COVID, especially for children and young children, they're hearing the news. They're hearing mom and dad, auntie, uncle, grandmas, grandpas talking about, oh my gosh, COVID, COVID, COVID. But they don't fully understand. Right. Right. So they hear, they hear the fear and the uncertainty and, and anxiety in our voices and they see and they see our faces and then they see right they see things on YouTube and and, and things like that but they don't have an understanding so it's making them feel certain ways mm. so having a chance to use like age appropriate tools or things like that to be able to have a conversation and you also be honest from an age appropriate standpoint with your child about you know I don't know what this is yeah I'm, mommy's feeling nervous about this because what that does it allows your child to say oh mommy's talking about her feelings or daddy's talking about her feelings right. I can talk about my feelings too it's okay to be it's okay to be scared and not know what to do with it yeah you know and That's the thing to do is that we can talk about it. So I think, I think that especially in this pandemic, um, one thing that I've noticed personally at home is that, you know, I have a chance to call my friends and video chat things like that, but my little one doesn't. So I'll ask, do you want to call? Do you want to send a message to your friend? Do you want to do something like that? And something that I really appreciate, um, my little one's teacher did made a WhatsApp group for all the parents. Oh, so, nice. Yeah, so what the kids will do, they'll send each other messages. Aww. Right. They'll send each other like, hi, everybody. Happy birthday. It's Aww. your birthday. Or they'll send pictures. Or um, one of my one of my son's friends did a little dance in front of his Christmas tree. And my son's like, good job. You did such a good job. <laughs> and I like a little message. Right. And I think like even something like that, it still helps them to connect with their friends. Right. That's good. So also for kids to connect as much as, you know, we yeah. need to connect. The kids need to connect yeah, as well. Do. They do. Because they're well, social, especially yeah. at this age, everything is social for them. Yes. Right. They learn socially. They interact yeah. socially. They want to do everything social and touching and everything. And they're missing out on that. Yes. I know for me as a parent, I need to also be in that mindset. I know that we're all kind of going through this whole pandemic and the lockdown. So it's also kind of rem reminding myself that she, you're not the only one going through this. You know, you have your kids that are going through this too. And to, I guess the word is give grace to yourself. And, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and lie. I don't win as I'm not mother of the year, but I, mean, I try. And I think, you know, being stuck in the house has really kind of affected me mentally. And I'm sure it has affected other people mentally. So I have to just remember that, you know, she's a kid and not to feel normally I would have patience with her, but I feel that, you know, my patience is kind of running a little thin. Same. <laughs> yep. And I have to, you know, I tell my daughter, I'm like, mommy needs a timeout yeah. because I don't want to upset her. So I tell her, just understand that mommy's not feeling well right now. Mommy needs a minute to regroup. <laughs> and once I've regrouped, I'll come back so that I can better help you. Yeah. I think that's perfect. Think exactly. That's amazing. Um, I, I say, I say, I want some peace and quiet. That's what I'll tell them. I'm like, <laughs> I need mommy needs a little peace and quiet right now. Okay, I've been playing with you for the past four hours. I just need a little peace and quiet. And she's like, okay. And then I found sometime last week, I was kissing her and hugging her, and she goes, "Mommy, I need some peace and quiet." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, okay, good. bye. <laughs> And it's so true because you know what you're actually teaching. And it's funny because we were doing something similar, but you're actually teaching uh, your child to have boundaries. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Space boundaries for themselves. So I was saying to my to my son that, you know, daddy needs mommy time and daddy needs you time and you need you time and time. daddy time and mommy time yeah. and mommy needs mommy time and mommy <laughs> needs daddy time and time. mommy needs time with you yeah. right sometimes he'll be playing and he's like mommy I'm taking my time right now I said okay Aww. mommy's, mommy's <laughs> gonna take her time too <laughs> 
the joys of parenting, eh? I know, the stories I know. that you'll have <laughs> for days. Natasha, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. This was a great conversation. We had I learned so much and I had so much fun doing this. Could you just let our listeners know how they could, if they need to reach you, or if they want to reach you, how can they do so and where they can find you on social media? Sure. Yeah, this has been a great conversation. Thank you both for having me. This has been so much fun this morning to do. So if anyone is looking for me, uh, you can find me on Instagram, on Facebook, as well as LinkedIn, Instagram and Facebook. You'll find me at Natasha Pennycook Therapy. And on LinkedIn, you'll find me at Natasha Pennycook. So don't hesitate. Uh, my social media, especially my Instagram and Facebook, it's very psychoeducational. So I'll give different tips and tricks. And uh, yeah, if you're looking looking for for therapy therapy right now I do have a waiting list but if you're looking for like clinical consultation or if you want me to do like a workshop or a lunch and learn for your organization definitely reach out perfect well thanks again Natasha thank you you're welcome you're welcome thank you so much again a big thanks goes out to Natasha for joining Michelle and I on today's episode We hope that you guys have learned a lot and will start having conversations about mental health with your own family and friends. Until next time, 